This week, Ultra Petroleum, Intelsat file for Chapter 11. Murray Energy parties continue to fight on direction of cases. More on all this and as always, updates from Puerto Rico. Welcome to the Week in Reorg. Hello and welcome to the Reorg podcast, where we bring you the latest top developments in high yield, distressed debt, and bankruptcy. I'm Connor Skelding. And I'm Raksha Manjanath. Later, Credit Research Director Mark Fisher will review first quarter 2020 earnings. It's Sunday, May 17th. Ultra Petroleum filed for Chapter 11 in the Southern District of Texas, having reached agreement on the terms of a restructuring pursuant to a restructuring support agreement with holders of 100% of the loans under its first lien RBL credit facility, 85% of the loans under its first lien term loan, and 67% of its second lien notes. The debtors previously filed for Chapter 11 in 2016 and emerged in 2017. The plan contemplated by the RSA would equitize substantially all of the debtors' pre-petition outstanding funded indebtedness and is predicated on an estimated enterprise value of between $850 and $950 million as of the petition date. The RSA contemplates the following treatment for stakeholders of new financing transactions. Equitization, or an 85% cash recovery for RBL claims. Equitization of first lien term loan and second lien notes claims. Cancellation of unsecured notes a $25 million delayed draw dip credit facility, and a new capital investment of up to $85 million under a rights offering to repay the dip, repay outstanding obligations under the pre-petition RBL, and provide the reorganized debtors with capital to be used for investments and or general corporate purposes. Half is reserved for priority backstop parties consisting of funds affiliated with Citadel, Bain Capital, Oak Tree, Sculptor Capital, and Golden Tree, and half of which is available to all backstop parties. The plan also contemplates an exit facility RBL with a borrowing base of $100 million. According to the DS, first lien RBL claims are projected to recover 85%, assuming all holders elect cash, first lien term loan claims 78 to 81%, with the high end assuming rights offering participation and the low end assuming no participation, and second lien notes claims 4%. Recoveries assume the midpoint of the range of total equity value, that only $10.375 million is drawn on the dip facility during the case, and that $5 million of exit term loans are funded at emergence. Intelsat filed for Chapter 11 in the Eastern District of Virginia. According to First Day Declaration of CFO David Tolley, the debtors filed because they required additional financing to fund the FCC-mandated C-band 5G clearing process service current debt obligations, maintain financial covenants, and meet operating requirements. According to the debtors, $800 million of the total $1.6 billion required to clear its C-band spectrum must be paid through the second quarter of 2021 prior to receiving promised reimbursement from the Federal Communications Commission, or FCC. In addition, Tully says, the debtors have experienced a $160 million reduction in both revenue and cash flow due to the recent COVID-19 pandemic. Annual debt service payments also exceeded 50% of the company's revenue and 75% of the company's 2019 adjusted EBITDA, the debtors say. Along with relocation payments, the debtors project over $1 billion of negative leveraged cash flow in 2020 and anticipate a negative cash balance at the end of the year. Management said it expected to have the ability to repay much of its current debt with proceeds of a public spectrum auction or to be able to refinance its debt. However, 
Tully says the recent FCC decision to limit potential reimbursement to $4.87 billion of spectrum relocation payments has become a major driver in the company's need to evaluate other alternatives. The debtors have, quote, received and began evaluating potential restructuring transactions proposed by certain of their creditor groups, according to the first day declaration. The debtors say they have obtained a secured, senior-secured multi-draw $1 billion dip-term facility from an ad hoc group of holders of approximately half of their secured term loan and secured notes and up to 80.58% of dip commitments would be available to holders of pre-petition secured debt. However, according to the declaration of Justin Schmaltz of Alvarez and Marcel, the debtors are, quote, comfortable that they would have sufficient cash on hand to continue operations in the ordinary course and fund the cost of clearing C-band spectrum for the first 45 days of their Chapter 11 cases. Reorg reported on Thursday that at least two groups of Intelsat bondholders submitted restructuring proposals to the satellite operator prior to its Chapter 11 filing that outlined varying treatment for its unsecured debt classes with respect to equitization. The group of holders of Jackson Unsecured, Luxembourg and Connect Finance, notes working with Jones Day as legal advisor and Houlihan Loki as financial advisor, and they sought to exchange a portion of the Jackson debt for the majority of reorganized equity and exchange the structurally junior debt for a nominal amount. The group of holders of the Envision Convertible Notes, working with Brown Rudnick as legal advisor and Tessera Partners as financial advisors, contemplated exchanging ICF, Envision and Luxembourg debt for convertible notes and a majority of the reorganized equity and a small portion of the Jackson debt for reorganized equity. At the first day hearing, counsel for shareholder and convertible note holder Cyrus Capital said that ownership of the acceleration payments by a particular debtor and the attachment of prepetition secured lenders' liens to that payment could be, quote, hotly contested. Council added that Cyrus fears certain actions taken under the cash collateral order, including a potential participation election requesting that the FCC allocate the acceleration payments to an Intelsat Jackson affiliate, as required by the debtor's proposed dip, could have, quote, irreversible effects on prepetition rights. Judge John Hoffman Jr. declined on Wednesday to approve the Murray Metallurgical Coal Holdings Debtor's Disclosure Statement, until it contains additional financial information regarding future operations of the Oak Grove Mine by Stocking Horse Purchaser Hatfield Metallurgical Holdings, as well as the repayment terms of the debt to be issued by Hatfield. The additional information was called for in the objection and supplemental objection of Bay Point Capital. The court expressed its, quote, inclination to simply agree with Bay Point straight down the line on these disclosure issues. Bay Point, lesser or financier of certain long-wall shield equipment at the Oak Grove Mine, has voiced concerns with the mine's future operation by Hatfield because the plan would issue Bay Point a promissory note secured by the long-wall shields. GACP Finance Company, LLC, the Murray Debtors Dip first-in, last-out lender, filed a motion on Wednesday charging that the debtors are engaging in, quote, blatant and unequivocal breaches of the Dip Philo lender's, quote, only financial covenant, and asked the court to enforce the final dip order. GACP asserts that the breach of the covenant, which includes a $160 million floor for current assets as reported in current asset reports, creates an, quote, urgent crisis as the assets supporting its loan are, quote, rapidly disappearing at an alarming rate, jeopardizing its ability to recover the amounts due on its $90 million loan to Murray. 
On Thursday, Judge Hoffman Jr. set revised schedules for Consul Energy's motion to convert the Murray Energy cases to Chapter 7 or appoint a Chapter 11 trustee or examiner and GACP Finance's motion to enforce the final tip order in light of an alleged event of default. The court called a status conference on Consul's motion to convert based on language in its May 13th reply in support of the motion that, quote, it may be appropriate to wait until then to see whether the debtors can fund its plan and close its asset sale before the court considers whether conversion or appointment of a Chapter 11 trustee is appropriate. Judge Hoffman partially accepted the solution proposed by the debtors that the court could, within its power, delay a hearing on the motion until after confirmation, directing that a hearing on Consul's request for a Chapter 11 trustee or examiner would be adjourned to allow for the confirmation process to play out. On the island of Puerto Rico, on Wednesday, the Promesa Oversight Board announced that it authorized a $185 million short-term liquidity facility to help Puerto Rico's 78 municipalities, quote, offset the timing of the expected receipt of property tax revenue due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The size of the facility surpasses the previously proposed $148 million package and would be available through July 31st. Based on estimated property tax collections, it is expected to be fully repaid by November 30th. The facility's key terms include a first priority security interest in all basic property tax revenue received by the Municipal Revenue Collection Center, or CRIM, and a lockbox to protect the Commonwealth's collateral. The terms are outlined in a May 13th letter from the Oversight Board Director Natalie Herjarasco, to Commonwealth Fiscal Agency and Financial Advisory Authority Executive Director Omar Marrero. The Oversight Board explained in a press release that it provided the authorization, draft liquidity facility agreement, and draft legislative text to Governor Wanda Vasquez and the Puerto Rico Fiscal Agency and Financial Advisory Authority, or AFAF. The Oversight Board notes that the resolution authorizing the use of Commonwealth funds requires the approval of Puerto Rico legislature. During a Thursday press conference, Vasquez outlined her administration's plan to spend the $2.2 billion Puerto Rico is receiving through the Coronavirus Relief Fund created under the CARE Act. The plan includes $700 million in grants and payroll protection initiatives for island businesses and $200 million in direct support to self-employed individuals. Vasquez said her administration is holding $485.62 million in a reserve fund and will determine its use based on Puerto Rico's future needs and the status of the COVID-19 health emergency. The press release stated that the fund will also be used to reimburse Commonwealth's general fund and the emergency reserve for eligible expenses. Other top stories this past week were Avianca files Chapter 11 in Southern District of New York. Counsel to required lenders under Revlon 2016 credit agreement says amendments unlawfully adopted. Purported 2020 credit agreement is void and without effect. Sinclair announces exchange consent solicitation for Diamond Sports 6 and 5 eighths percent 2027 notes. Offering consideration of 46.7% new secured notes, 13.3% cash for early tender. Now here is Jim Holloway from Houston with the week ahead. 
Well, thank you and good morning, everyone. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? I'm referring, of course, to earnings season, which is largely in the rear view. Alas, in the words of noted dad rock philosopher Mr. P. Floyd, the flames are all long gone, but the pain lingers on. And in three months, like the proverbial bad penny, it will all be back. But in the meantime, we can content ourselves with many legal doings. Like on Monday, May 18th, Sanchez, there's a hearing in the DTC appointment motion and a PSA approval hearing in New Katai. Tuesday, May 19th, stay relief hearing in Frontier and McDermott and a pre-confirmation scheduling conference in PG&E. Wednesday, May 20th, Zohar. There's a DS hearing related to Jura Automotive, second day hearing in Speedcase, and an omnibus hearing in Dean Foods. And what do you know, there are some earnings. These are from L Brands. Thursday, May 21st. Why don't you start off your day with a nice cup of coffee and the L Brands conference call? After that, you can tune in to the final dip hearing in LSC Communication, hearing in J. Crew, and in PG&E, there is a hearing on the merits of the motion. And on Friday, we have the forbearance expiration in Hertz, early tender deadline in Cowan Petroleum, and a second day hearing in Frontier, among other things. If you want the complete lineup, please see our weekly forward released first thing every Monday morning. And no, I didn't prepare a Sir Humphrey Davenport Award for the best bit of legal writing this week. There's just so much to choose from. Well done, everybody. But anyways... Sir Humphrey Davenport was among the judges who ruled against King Charles I in the case of Rex versus John Hampton in 1637, which had to do with whether the king could levy taxes without the consent of Parliament. The trial was heard before the Court of Exchequer, and while seven of the twelve jurists decided for the king, very few in England actually paid the tax, and of course, twelve years later, a cousin of John Hampton's, a formerly down-on-his-luck farmer by the name of Oliver Cromwell, brought closure to the issue by separating the head of King Charles from its body. And that's all from me. And now over to Mark Fisher, who is going to review earnings for you. Thanks, Jim. In light of the wave of bankruptcies we've seen over the last couple of weeks, I wanted to review from the first quarter which companies issued going concern warnings. Of course, many of them are in energy. Surprisingly, a few were companies that have restructured either in court or out of court within the last 12 months. So included in that list, oil field services company Key Energy said that due to the uncertainty of future oil and natural gas prices and the effect of COVID-19 pandemic will have on our results of operations and financial condition, there is substantial doubt as to the ability of the company to continue as a going concern. Key Energy on March 9th had completed a restructuring in which lenders exchanged approximately $241.9 million aggregate principal uh, outstanding of its term loans into approximately 13.3 million newly issued shares of common stock of the company and $20 million of term loans under a new 51.2 million term loan facility. As part of the new term loan facility, the lenders provided $30 million of new term loan financing. Another one that um, emerged from in-court uh, bankruptcy, Global Oil Field Services Company, Weatherford International, they emerged from Chapter 11 on December 16th, said in its 10Q that given the material decline in its business as a result of the, quote, historic oversupply of hydrocarbons worldwide, it expects that a breach of its covenants under its ABL revolving credit facility is forthcoming, which would constitute an event of default under the ABL credit agreement, and if not cured or waived, would potentially constitute an event of default under the LC credit agreement and the unsecured 11% senior notes due 2024. 
an event of default under these agreements would result in the uh, obligations under these agreements being accelerated or cash collateralized, which raises substantial doubt regarding the company's ability to continue as a going concern within the next 12 months. Weatherford said it began discussions with holders of its 2024 notes with respect to a potential deleveraging or restructuring transaction. Other companies citing uh, potential covenant uh, breach on May 11th, Chesapeake Energy and EMP with a mix of gas and oil assets and core basins of the Marcellus, Haynesville, PRB, Midcontinent, and Brazos Valley also cited a potential covenant breach as a reason for its going concern warning, excuse me, disclosing. Based on our current forecast, we did not expect to be in compliance with our financial covenants beginning in the fourth quarter of 2020. The company continued, failure to comply with these covenants, if not waived, would result in an event of default under our revolving credit facility, the potential acceleration of outstanding debt thereunder, and the potential foreclosure on the collateral securing such debt, and could cause a cross-default under our other outstanding indebtedness. The company stated that there can be no assurances that it will be able to successfully restructure its indebtedness, improve its financial position, or complete any strategic transactions. As a result of these uncertainties and the likelihood of restructuring or reorganization, management has concluded that there is substantial doubt about the company's ability to continue as a going concern. Chesapeake said it has engaged advisors to assist with the evaluation of strategic alternatives, which may include but not be limited to seeking a restructuring, amendment, or refinancing of existing debt through a private restructuring or reorganization under Chapter 11 of the Bankruptcy Code. Permian-focused Oasis Petroleum said that it currently expects it will be unable to comply with the leverage ratio covenant under its revolving credit facility beginning with the fourth quarter of 2020. Failure to comply with this covenant, if not waived, will result in an event of default under the Oasis credit facility. The company says it, quote, expects to disclose in the financial statements to be incorporated in the Form 10-Q that it's concluded that the risk of non-compliance of non-compliance raises substantial doubt about the company's ability to continue as a going concern. California Resources disclosed in an 8K filing that has previously disclosed the company is continuing to pursue the restructuring of its balance sheet. However, quote, in the event the company is not successful in restructuring its balance sheet, there is substantial doubt about the company's ability to continue as a going concern. The company withdrew previous issued guidance for all periods after March 31st due to the high level of economic activity, economic uncertainty, and disruption in commodity prices, as well as the COVID-19 pandemic company also stated that it expects to file its quarterly report in mid-June. Extraction Oil also blamed the covenant default, though for the current quarter on its going concern warning. The company then on May 15th elected not to make the approximately $14.8 million interest payment due and payable with respect to its 7 and 3 eighths senior notes due 2024 and entered into a 30-day grace period to make the interest payment before such non-payment constitutes an event default with respect to the 2024 notes company said it is entering the 30-day grace period in order to evaluate strategic alternatives, none of which have been implemented at this time. The 30-day grace period it will expire on June 14th. Martin Midstream, uh, even though they also issued a going concern warning, struck an upbeat tone. The company said that as of March 31st, the amended revolving credit facility includes a provision which accelerates the maturity date to August 19th of this year if the 2021 notes are not refinanced in a manner not prohibited by the facility. Martin Midstream, with support from the board, has uh, said it's actively pursuing a variety of strategic alternatives to strengthen the balance sheet and address near-term maturities, and accordingly announced on April 6th the hiring of Stevens as a financial advisor to assist in the process. 
pending the the successful implementation of the refinancing, the conditions described above have raised substantial doubt about the partnership's ability to continue as a going concern, but here's the upbeat tone on its earnings call in late April. Management expressed confidence in its ability to refinance the 2021 notes with the goal of doing so prior to August 19th, the date that the revolver maturity would spring. However, if the company is unable to refinance before that date, according to management, the revolving lenders make up that make up a, a quote supportive bank group, and it is confident that it would be able to reach an agreement that would push out the spring and maturity date, giving the company and its advisors more time. Um, of course, not all going concern warnings came from the energy sector. We have a couple of examples outside of energy. Rental car company Hertz disclosed in its 10Q that management has, quote, determined that the company may not be able to repay or refinance its debt facilities prior to their respective maturities. It may not have sufficient cash flows from operations or liquidity to sustain its operating needs or to meet the company's obligations as they become due over the next 12, uh, 12 months following the quarterly report. As such, management has concluded there are substantial out regarding the company's ability to continue as a going concern. On April 27th, Hertz said in a corporate filing that um, it did not make certain payments in accordance with the operating lease. If such payments are not made by the end of the grace period and a sufficient amount of Hertz senior credit lenders and VFN note holders do not agree to waive any resulting default or forbear from exercising remedies, Hertz could be materially and negatively impacted. On May 4th, Hertz entered into forbearances and limited waivers with certain other companies' corporate lenders and holders of the company's asset-backed vehicle debt, providing Hertz with additional time through May 22nd to engage in discussions with its key stakeholders with the goal to develop a financing strategy and structure that better reflects the economic impact of the COVID-19 global pandemic and Hertz's ongoing operating and financing requirements. And uh, I'll leave everybody with a bit of temporary, albeit uh, very short-term, good news. On May 11th, vitamin retailer GNC disclosed a going concern warning regarding the May 16th accelerated maturity payment due, uh, which it does not have, which said it does not have the ability to repay. Management also stated that it is in discussions with stakeholders exploring all options to address its capital structure, including a comprehensive transaction. CFO Trisha Tolliver added that the company is in discussion with lenders specifically to move the spring maturity date and said she believes it is in everyone's best interest to do so. So here's the good news. As a result of those discussions with its lenders, GNC said it entered into amendments to its loan agreements to extend the spring maturity date for the term loan facility, Philo credit facility, and revolving credit facility until August 10th of this year, subject to certain conditions that if not met would cause the extended extended spring maturity date to move forward to June 15th. So given them themselves at least another um, month. So we'll see how that goes. And um, that's it for me. Uh, New York, back to you. Thanks all. And thanks again for listening to this review. As always, find all of our podcasts on the reorg.com media page, iTunes, and SoundCloud. As always, we hope you and your families are healthy and safe. See you next week.